Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Salutations, Mets fans, welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast for your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Brian Renzi. Brian, this past weekend, during the National Series, Keith Hernandez revealed he doesn't watch much TV anymore. So if you could recommend one show for Keith to watch on those, uh, on those long road trips on his iPad or on his days off in Sag Harbor, what would you pick? Well, I mean, what are, what are we doing here? Are we giving him something that you think he'd actually want to watch or enjoy? I think, I think or... you got to give him something he likes. Keith's very picky, as we know. I, I can't try and, like, edify him? and You're not, not going to turn him on to, like, Babylon 5. It's okay. probably not going to happen. I got you. I, well, in all honesty, I'm, I'm actually a bit of a Keith myself. I, I really don't watch a ton of TV. I've probably seen, like, one episode of most shows, though. So I... I would say, like, you know, knowing him, something that'd be up his alley would just be, you know, if, if this isn't too basic and straightforward, uh, Mad Men, you know, appeal to the, the swinging 80s Mets lifestyle and whatnot, right? Um, I, I definitely, and, uh, definitely considered Mad Men. It does have sort of, I think, sort of the, 
nice clothes, nice booze, casual sexism that we've come to associate with Keith Hernandez. Right. But then like in like your uncle, like your 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 fun uncle that actually has a drink in him talks about like females in a uncomfortable way. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, on the other side, everything has like a fur hood too. <laughs> Uh, on the other side if you did want to slip something in there to to make them like kind of view something outside of uh the world inhabited by guys who you know chase balls around for a living uh you know maybe just something you know fun and light but still touching on some serious topics like uh m- modern family or whatever and let them kind of see what it's like in in the the world for you know a lot of men to actually operate you know and, and where we can't just be living on um, stereotypes of John Wayne and whatnot. So I don't know, maybe that that, that could be interesting to him and still you know kind of feed some some good stuff to him as well. I think sort of in that vein too. He's a I think he's a few years younger. He's about five years younger than my father, but I get the impression that he uh, grew up on sort of like TV westerns in the sixties. I think one of the few things that was on, like Bonanza. So I was considering Deadwood. All right. I thought might work as sort of like, eh, I could see him having a bit of a, he might, I don't know, maybe the violence and profanity might be a bit too much for him. I don't know how delicate his sensibilities actually are. So I'm actually going to go with a suggestion that comes straight from Chris McShane, and that's uh, The Americans. It's set in the oh. 80s, sort of in the in the tri-state area. Carrie Russell is nice to look at. I think it might sort of tie into sort of that, again, that sort of 80s lifestyle, the sort of 80s in New York. I think you can relate to that. I could see him getting into sort of the spy stuff. All right, yeah, that, that's that new show out. Yeah, on FX. Okay. I'll have to check out one episode. It's probably worth it. I, I actually don't watch it myself either, but I, I will take, I don't watch much TV like you, so I will take Chris McShane's uh, word for it. He's not, he's never uh, I don't think he's never he's actually given me any advice, but he's never steered me wrong before. I mean my 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 one sort of abiding piece of knowledge I have about Chris McShane and pop culture is that he likes Wilco. So that's it. So read into that what you will. I just saw Wilco at uh Jazz Fest down in New Orleans uh last week. They were awesome. So there you go. The Americans oh. and Wilco. Chris McShane knows of what he speaks, I guess. Oh, yeah. Now, he's got a firm, steady hand as an editor, too. You know, respect. This is episode 116 of Amazing Avenue Audio. I know I promised a uh, a Mercury Mess reference for this week, but I actually went and looked it up, and the turn forward the clock thing that gave birth to the Mercury Mets was actually meant to be set in 2027. So you will have to wait for episode 127 for a Mercury Mets reference. I'll just have to come up with something else. As Kevin Ploiecki doubles, maybe? No, just a single because he's a catcher. Down the, the, the uh, <laughs> left field line. The, I didn't like the graphics on those, those Mercury Mets, to be honest. I mean, they're, I they're okay. One. I would buy one. If they Not made the it Pirates available. one, though. Oh, yeah, the Pirates one was weird, if I recall. It's just a giant pirate head on, like, a red shirt. It was mm-hmm. pretty terrible. Jonah Carey retweeted a bunch of them a few months ago, I remember. But, uh, of course, the picture of Oral Hershiser in the Mercury Mets jersey has long been a staple of Amazing Avenue uh, <laughs> readers in all, I, in all, and commenters in all threads, whether appropriate I, or not. 
I, well, I, lo- I love the color scheme, though. I thought that was the way they should have gone if they were going to go black. It sort of, you know, smoothed out a little more with yeah, black and, and silver or gray. I thought would have been a good look back in the day instead of, like, the, the two-tone mess of black and blue and or throwing orange there. Ugh, it was still somehow very late 90s, even at the time when it meant to be 2027. True. So what we talk about this week? We're, we're recording this on Wednesday night, which is which is a good thing, I think. I debated whether to record Monday night or Wednesday night this week because of my work schedule. And I think Monday night the show would have been dark. It would not have been good. You may have gotten a rant or two. But uh, as in most things related to the Mets, uh, Bartolo Colon sues all ills, as he did last night. Broke the Mets, uh, oh, not really a losing streak per se. They lost five of six. And they're winning tonight as we record. We'll keep you updated as necessary. It's not really necessary because by the time you hear this, the game will be over. But I have the game up, so I will be commenting on it as I do. We will talk about we're a month into the season now, I think almost exactly a month from opening day. Talk about sort of what's pleased us, what's disappointed us in the first month, and where do we go from here. Talk more specifically about uh, the Mets pitching situation with Steven Matz and Noah Syndergaard. Uh, Syndergaard specifically might be in line for a spot start in the next month. Uh, Matz and Syndergaard could be up right now, maybe should be up right now. We'll talk about that. And, of course, we'll get into your emails. There's a lot of emails this week. If Dilson Herrera goes back up the middle, I promise not to do running play-by-play of the entire uh, game while we do this. I have not had that much to drink yet. Well, you're even killing me a little bit here because I, I got it on a little bit of delay on uh, MLB TV on my uh, iPad here. Well, I've been so on my I, laptop, I and I know that's about 30 seconds behind right now because my phone let me know that Curtis Granderson homered about 30 seconds before it actually happened. So you're even farther back than uh, me. I guess so. Oh, there he goes, right up the middle. Nice job, Dilson. A good piece of hitting. It was. Um, so we're a month in. The Mets are entering play tonight, 17-10, and 10, in first place in the NL East. Yet somehow we're still depressed and angry because we're Mets fans. But what's been your pleasant surprise in the first month of the season? Ah, oh, there's there, there's a bunch, really. Um, I mean, ones I that I won't spoil are... what just happened for you. So, okay, thanks, appreciate. It. Although that's a pretty heavy hint. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say the the biggest thing is that the the organizational depth has come through to to really you know, fill some gaps and, and keep the ship afloat. Um, guys like Kevin Pluwecki and, I mean, Dilson Herrera is just starting to hit here tonight, but he's definitely as advertised in defense, uh, on defense. Um, just uh, guys like Familia stepping in and just being lights out. I mean, he's just kind of unhittable most of the times he's out there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this this depth thing is, is something new, and uh, it has been really great to see, I guess, the, the fruits of the the Sandy administration finally, uh, you know, come out and play. I will say I've been giving the Mets a lot of shit on Twitter, as one does, um, because of their poor run of form over the last week or so, basically since the end of the Atlanta Braves series. I guess that's like 10 days now. But... I mean, I think you're right. This could be a lot worse than it is. You know, Travis Darno is hurt. You know, David Wright is hurt. You know, Henry Mejia is suspended for 80 games. So these are going to be three major factors in the Mets' success this year. Hang on, my computer's about to die because my power thing came out. 
not good. <laughs> no, I'm plugged in now. What are you doing? Don't go to hibernate. <sighs> got this thing like stretched across the room. Might be part of the problem. Got it, winner. All right, yes. Um, where was I? Yeah, so, I mean, it could have gone pear-shaped. Obviously, David Wright got hurt a couple of games into their big 11-game win streak, and they carried on. Darno got hurt. And Plowecki's been, I think, as advertised for the most part. Filled in well. And they've, you know, they've kept the the ship more or less afloat. And this is a team that's in first place. We're a month into the season, the team's in first place. I really have no license to whine on the podcast. I'm going to anyway about uh, the back end of the rotation and how they're handling that. You know, whether they're being aggressive enough with promotions, but the need to trade for a big bat, that kind of fun stuff that I've been, you know, those drums that I've been beating on the podcast over the last couple of weeks. But I, you're right. This Even Eric Campbell came up and hit for a little bit. Before he went over 20-something. Yeah, whatever it was, yes, which... It's basically what he did last year in, in in microcosm. But would I have preferred if they went, let's see, they're four and seven in their last 11 games. Would have been better if they went six and five coming off that 11-game win streak? Yes. And that could have happened. They lost two 1-0 games to the Nationals. There were some winnable games against the Marlins. They didn't win because it's a game in Miami, which... As much as I joked about them uh, winning games, they would have lost against Miami the first time around. They went right back to losing games against Miami that they usually lose the second time around. But it's a good team, and I think you're right that you whether you want to you know get into the whole Sandy's mess versus Omar's team thing. I don't really particularly want to do that, but you are starting to see this is a organization now that has a little bit more depth, at least in the places where they've had to fill so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty impressed um, even with the the range of relievers who come in and at least, you know, done, done an okay job for the most part. Like, uh, you know, Eric Goodell hasn't been scored on yet in his uh, eight appearances, which I wouldn't have guessed after seeing him in spring training. Um, you know, they, they just keep trying people and they, and they, they keep working. I mean, the... the the ERA and the the team's overall is really really impressive. Um, and apart from I don't know if uh, Ray Ramirez is still in the training staff somewhere with all he these is. injuries. Yeah, but um, geez, I don't know. Like uh, it's it's a lot of injuries. Um, I can, can is it is it not a thing that you do to, to trade like um, you know your your medical professionals and stuff in midseason? Because that's, that's the think, only thing. I don't th- think that the uh, the training staff is usually the shot across the bow if the team's underperforming as a general rule. Right. But that that's about it. I mean, like, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm, I'm still a bit giddy from the, the winning streak, so I, I hardly even cared that they went 4-7 and because, heck, we're, we're still up a couple of games in first place. That's, that's pretty amazing. No, and I think you know my reaction included might be a bit of an overreaction in the whole reason we can't have nice things. But I will. Uh, this might be a bit of recency bias on my part, but Bartolo Colon has a thirty-four to one strikeout to walk ratio. 
Wow. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And I, 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 I liked the contract at the time. I liked them keeping him coming into this year, given that they were going to, you know, maybe skip starts here and there. You know, had guys like DeGrom and Harvey on innings limits. You know, guys in the back end of that rotation, G and Nice, that have trouble staying healthy. Being able to pencil in. And I figured he bounced back a little bit. So, you know, pencil in like a league average starter for 180 to 220 innings this year would be a boon. You know, and keep the bullpen a little better rested than it has been in the past under Terry Collins. You know, the little things like that. I mean, still managed to get Carlos Torres in the game for, I think, two outs yesterday. But despite Bartello going seven plus. Um, <laughs> but he's been good. And the stuff, he threw a couple of, like nasty sliders yesterday and he's gonna you know he's gonna wear it he's gonna have a start in the next six weeks where he probably wears a little bit and he may still end up that league average starter but you know before he got back to before he came to the Mets last year he was coming off two very good seasons in Oakland and a season that once you adjust for the fact that he was pitching in Yankee Stadium in the AL East wasn't bad either sort of his first full healthy season back from the elbow issues I mean, he looked like a really good starting pitcher, and you're seeing more of that this year. He's missing more bats. He's not obviously not walking anyone. That's only like the smallest amount of hyperbole possible there, really. And he's just a joy to watch pitch. I mean, obviously, aesthetically speaking, maybe Jacob deGrom and Matt Harvey are more traditionally fun you know, being power pitchers and Bartolo Colon is just throwing like 87 to 93 mile an hour two seamer after two seamer but it's uh certainly been a pleasure I think early on in the season oh absolutely I mean he's, he's just a lot of fun in in every respect and, and now he's he's just getting a lot of love from the interwebs all over getting getting on there for even nationally on uh USA Today's for the win, throwing out you know pictures of his helmet falling off when he's swinging, and everyone. I mean, that's almost just... all Ted Berg, which would have happened whether or not he was running for USA Today or not. <laughs> all right, but e- either way, it's just it's just kind of a, a feel good, you know, haha about the Mets rather than the you know wince and lower your head, lol Mets sort of thing. So it's it, it's it's a welcome change for sure. It's true. The fact that he's shoving makes sort of the helmet falling off and occasional long bomb he gives up a little more palatable. And I think you touched on uh, Jager Samilia too, sort of. And I had my doubts coming into the season. You know, I've said repeatedly on this podcast that I thought Mejia was sort of better suited to be the closer of this team coming into the season because of Familia's issues against lefties, his occasional wildness his sort of come-and-go feel for the slider, and sort of all three of those have disappeared. No longer an issue. The slider has gone from a plus pitch to when it's on to, you know, one of the best sliders in baseball. It's sick. There's I mean, no it's, way it's disgusting. This is a team where you can see 90-mile-an-hour sliders with some regularity, certainly more than in other places in baseball. But I think Familias might be the best on the team. He's not walking guys nearly at the rate he did last year. He's given a couple home runs, which is going to happen. I mean, Chris Davis hit a 96-mile-an-hour fastball. The ES had probably had a, was up and had a bit too much plate, but it was still an impressive opposite field shot. You know, he, He's been pretty steady. He's going to make the all-star team this year, probably. 
for whatever that's worth. He's going to have enough saves and enough strikeouts and probably a low enough ERA come July 4th that that's going to be a thing that happens. And that's going to be great. And he's been really good. I think the Chris Davis home run last night was actually the first hit a lefty had had off him all year. And it was like it was his first or second pitch as well, so he hadn't really even gotten himself sort of established. But you know, aside from that, he's given up four hits so far in eleven appearance, uh, fourteen appearances, fourteen plus innings. Um, yeah, two of them have been homers, but you know that that's going to happen. You're going to groove one occasionally, but yeah, other than that, like that that slider, it's I mean that thing. It looks like you know Matt Harvey a couple of years ago. Honestly, like uh, I don't know what you can do except wave the bat at it and just pray. Yeah, it's I mean it's unhittable when it's on, and the fact that he pairs it with a ninety-five to ninety-eight mile an hour two-seamer with late run and sink makes him in a you know an elite level closer potentially. Now, can he sustain it for the whole season? He's had some arm issues in the past. We're only talking about the first month. We're not really going to look towards the future yet. So, uh, Familia's. I think another good point to cover here. So disappointments. We're a month into the season. Team's in first place. But there's probably something that you uh, have caused to quibble with, Brian. What do you got? Uh, well, of course. I mean, again, I could could generally say team defense. I mean, um, obviously the Flores' hands would be up there on the, the list. I mean, we, we expect him to be at least – be able to handle the chances that he got to uh which he's really he struggled with that and and throwing accurately uh michael kadire looks slower than i had hoped or remembered out in left field like he's just not covering much ground at all he's very much looking like a 36 year old who you know he's he's running as hard as he can but he's just literally stuck in second gear there is no third gear for him anymore and, uh, yeah, he's not really covering a lot of ground out there. So it's, I mean, between that, you got your, your weak arm and right and Granderson, Murphy's having his, his woes. We got we're breaking in a couple of young catchers and yeah, the defense is a, a little bit of a mess and, and slowly leaking in, you know, or at least a, a run or two each night, it seems, if not more in some cases. I mean, I guess I'll frame it this way and I, of course, agree with you, but Coming in, the idea was, all right, you're going to punt defense and make it up at the plate. And this offense isn't good enough to punt defense, <laughs> it basically, is what it comes down to. Yep. And it hasn't been and probably won't be in the, in the medium term, I would imagine. So, yeah, and it's, I think, specifically a f- more frustrating way to lose games. Like, this team uh- is not—I mean, we know this team's not built to win— Win six four, and they're gonna you know they got shut out twice over the weekend in the national. And yeah, you know you tip your cap to a certain extent to that starting pitching. They lost a couple one zero games. There were some things that happened here and there that contributed that well. You don't really want to look at it in a vacuum, but in general, this team for the offensive performance you're getting and probably will get in the future is not good enough to punt defense as much as they have. And I think they even started to realize that you know moving Murphy to third and calling up Herrera now that Dilson Herrera is a great second baseman. Um, and you sort of alluded to him you know, being a defensive upgrade and what you expected defensively in so much that he is better than Daniel Murphy at second base, noticeably so, which is fine. Um, but going forward, it's a, it's, and we saw it again in the Yankees game and the Sunday night game, 
you know, a couple of double plays that weren't turned against the Marlins. Just it's it's noticeable and it's annoying in a way that I think is I mean it's just indefensible, I guess is is the word <laughs> I would use. It's just indefensible. And, and don't get me wrong, people are trying. People all over Twitter are trying to defend Wilmer Flores' defense. He's not a good defender. The Mets know he's not a good defender. And they wouldn't have moved him off shortstop in St. Lucie. You know, Matt Reynolds is still an everyday shortstop in in Triple A, and he's probably a below average major league shortstop. You know, they will keep people at the premium defensive position as long as they can. They move Wilmer Flores off of shortstop in St. Lucie. And they're here because he's cheap. And they thought he might hit a little bit more than he has. And, he, you know, he may hit a little more than he has. Though probably not enough to uh, to carry that glove. And look, I'm we knew the range was going to be an issue. The range has been an issue. You know, quote whatever small sample size defensive metrics you want. He's clearly not physically capable of playing that position at a high level, at a major league level. But, you know, the hands and the arm was supposed to be okay, and they, they haven't been. And that's very, very unplayable, that position. Unless he hits a ton, which he hasn't. And he hasn't looked great at the plate. He had basically a good two weeks. You know, he's going to run into some doubles. He's going to run into some home runs. He's going to roll over on pitches. That's it. As I said, I think on last week's show, you know, the the good run of form early in the season probably bought him another couple months there. He's gotten the the vote of confidence from Terry Collins and Sandy Alderson for whatever that's worth. And he's not the only offender, certainly. But it's just going to be a very frustrating thing to watch going forward, especially if they're in close games, which with this offense and this pitching staff, I expect them to be in. So that's when that sort of gets thrown into sharp relief. Yeah. If you're going to play a lot of 3-2 games, which the Mets are going to, they won 3-2 last night, they're up 3-1 as we speak right now, you got to turn those balls into play into outs. Because they're not built to win 6-4, as we've also found out. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think the offense was going to keep up what they were doing in the, the the preseason, but I really didn't think the defense was going to be quite this uh, porous. Um, I guess the one plus, again, to, to look at in, in all this is saying that with organizational depth, maybe that the, the Mets can swing a couple of in-season trades. That would be significant because um, they got a, a bunch of guys that they – they could move um, if I guess Brian Sabian was just at the the ballpark scouting for a third baseman, and he might not just be scouting Murphy over there. It might also be Flores because he'd probably be a, you know he's probably should be a third baseman really if anything. They're also starting uh, a still starting Ryan Vogel song right now, so right probably use some starting pitching as well 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 that's what i mean i mean if, i think sabian has proven that he's uh dopey enough to take you know sort of spare parts for a a, a bigger player uh which is the kind of trade you want to do if you're, if you're the mets because all we seem to have is guys who are not you know quite fitting right or you know not top level but you get a couple of above average talents together maybe you can turn that 
that get a return of a you know a impact player. Uh, I think that's what Alderson w- was is ideally like you know waiting to pounce on something like that. Um, will anybody else be sort of dopey enough to go for it? I, I hope so, but we'll see. I will point out that Dopey Brian Sabian has three World Series ranks. Yeah, yeah, like just despite him, himself, despite some of the awful trades he's made over the years, et cetera. But um, yeah, uh, fair enough. You know, you know, it. it and hey, anybody... if he wants it, if he wants to trade Kyle Crick for Daniel Murphy, I'll take my. If he wants to try to win, if he wants to win another World Series ring next year, doing that, fine. I'll take my chances. Absolutely, um, but but again, like if if we could do like a a Murphy and a, a sell high on Nice while his, his ERA looks low and his peripherals look terrible, um, that doesn't look like he's going to keep keep this up. Um, then I, you know I'd say do that. You know, throw in some some lower level prospects and and and, and see what we could uh, get back for a package. No, I do think they still need to make a move of some. Of some sort, whether it's internally or externally, and this might be a a good time to switch gears to the back end of the rotation, which we haven't mentioned in either the good or the bad pile. I think, which is fair. You know, coming off a weekend where the Mets lost two one zero games, started by Dylan G and John Neese, but have two you know top, national top one hundred to elite prospects if that's a, a phrase you want to use and Noah Syndergaard and Stephen Matz shoving their last couple outings in Las Vegas and they're they're getting to a bit of a pain point obviously we're about six weeks away from the Super 2 deadline if that's something that's important to you and it's clearly important to the Mets front office um, if no one else what's the play here how long do you sort of wait on the idea of Dylan G or John Neese increasing their trade value or when do you make a call to move them to the pen do you go to a six-man rotation as we've said this isn't a team built to win 6-4 and yes there were a couple 1-0 games this weekend the last time Neese and G started but they're going to have outings where they go five plus and give up four runs that's you know what number four and number five starters do it's the reason they're number four and number five starters and those are games the Mets are far less likely to win than those uh, games where they give up one run. You know, if they stay in a division race or even in a wild card race, you know, when when is the point where you just have to say, "Fuck it, we're rolling with these guys that could be top of the rotation starters immediately." Well, when do you know when the Super Two deadline is exactly? You don't. It's oh. roughly around June twentieth most years, because okay. it's, it's a certain percentage of players get it every year. Okay. So you don't know, but June twentieth is usually considered safe, I think. All right. I mean, it seems like a long time to wait. Uh... It's six weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's it's another seven or eight turns in the rotation. For an Easton G, basically, right. And I, I guess the the idea then is, you're if you're the Mets, you're probably gonna stick with the four and five you got until then, in the hopes of trying to build up value to you know trade somebody, right? Because otherwise, what, what are you doing with uh, G and Nice? They're 
obviously not don't profile well to be relievers or anything like that. So, you know, somebody's got to be on the move somewhere. Um, and I, I, I would guess that they're, they're going to keep trotting them out there to, until they can get some, some interest in somebody who's pitching poor. Um, and uh, that's, that's the only time, unless, you know, you, you want to get the six man rotation going for uh, a, a tough stretch here or there. Otherwise, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Uh, or, or, or unless you're bringing up Matt's in a relief role, which, you know, could be a possibility as well, I guess. But, I, you know, I'd rather just see them bring them up, bring them up as starters and, you know, let them try and uh, rock the NL's world. So here's my issue with that, um, very simply put, I guess. It's twofold. You're not – so maybe G has a good six starts. Maybe he, maybe he does. Maybe he has a good six starts in the next month or so. Entirely possible. He's done it before. Do you think you're fooling people that, that don't know? You don't think these teams don't have pro scouts that have seen Dylan G for the last three years and know what he is? You know, the same thing with Johnny's. It's like, okay, they could have a good six starts. They're major league pitchers. Of course they can. They have another good six starts after that. Is it a real talent change? You're not really raising value for these guys. When we sort of assume that, like, oh, you can... You know, these teams aren't stupid. Even Brian Sabian. His team's not stupid. And, and Brian Sabian, more than one, he knows what a good pitcher looks like. And at a certain point, you just have to to make a decision. Like, give your team the best chance to win. Because they've targeted this year. Fine, they targeted 2014. But now we're targeting this year. And they're in better shape. I think top to bottom than they were last year. And... Steven Matz could come up and be a number... I'm not saying this is going to happen. To be clear, Steven Matz could come up and be a number two starter in the majors. He could slot right in with Harvey and DeGrom. The stuff is that good. I mean, he might not. I don't think he's going to bust. I think the the downside here is pretty close to what Dylan G's 40th percentile outcome is. And if you're... Pining hopes on a good six starts from Dylan G. You deserve what you get, frankly. Because they'll be good, but they won't be a good six starts from Matt Harvey or Jacob DeGrom or Bartolo Colon or even Steven Matz. And what are you doing? It's Okay, you got the extra year of control. I get that. I don't read too much into it with pitchers. Are you really worried about Steven Matz, like, age 30 season? I guess. Maybe for a guy with his arm history? I don't know. But you got the extra year, fine. Now you're just basically trying to save the Will Ponds seven to eight million dollars over the course of six seasons. That's all holding him back for Super Two is. A good playoff run erases that very quickly. I agree. I mean, I I was just explaining what I think the Mets will do rather than what I'd prefer they do. <laughs> um I mean, you know, if you wanna if you wanna even do one of the I don't, I don't like to do what the Astros do but offer Steven Matz an extension right now like a Matt Moore Evan Longoria style extension like the Rays do or something the, like the Astros did with John Singleton and what they might do with Carlos Correa when they call him up offer it to him right now if that's what it takes to get him up early it probably works out okay for the team in the long run anyway and those kind of deals are hard to really 
lose on it because you're just not committing that much money up front. I don't know if he'll take it. But be aggressive. Sort of change your, your mode of operation here. Because it does come down to sort of like wasting bullets. And this is true with Syndergaard, too. Syndergaard's going to throw 200 innings in AAA before he gets called up if you wait till Super 2. 200 innings in the Pacific Coast League in Las Vegas. That's insane. Like, why would you do that to any... And, like, look, I know he wasn't great last year. He had a couple injury scares here and there. Fine. Why is it... It's the biggest waste of development time possible. Like, you're just not... At a certain point, what are you learning pitching in that environment? I, I guess, like, another angle that you could take from a holistic standpoint is just saying you know try and reduce the amount of flux at once that the team is in because clearly i think those guys should be up really soon but yeah the team's gone through you know crazy transitions in the the last uh few weeks with all the the comings and goings injuries etc um and i don't know um that's the only other sort of excuse that i could come up with um otherwise I think the more chance they have to, to be in the majors to find themselves and adjust and uh, the better really as far as their, their chances to make an impact this year when it, when it really matters at the end of the season. And it's, if it comes down to you and you mentioned Matt's the pen, if it comes down to us like August they were calling up Matt's to throw some innings in the pen and be maybe a bit of a fireman in the, in the playoffs if it gets to that, it just feels like I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad strategy. The Cardinals have made it work. The Rays have made it work. Those were two teams with more and better established starting pitching than the Mets right now. And I get it. You know, Dylan G's a veteran. Uh, Adam Rubin has used the phrase, it'll be a slap in the face to Dylan G now that he's, you know, especially now that he's pitching well. They, I mean, it's like they tried to trade him all offseason. They're going to non-tender him in all likelihood for the $6 million or whatever he's due um, in November. Probably more than that, probably like eight million for his last arbitration season in 2016. They have a 40 man crunch. They have a starting pitching crunch. They have an arbitration crunch financially, um, given that I don't see payroll going up significantly in 2016. Any money coming off the books will be wiped out by all the other arbitration raises they have. Yeah, it's a slap in the face in a way. But, you know. MLB, for the most part, is a meritocracy. And if you think Steven Matt gives you a better Noah Syndergaard, gives you a better chance to win than Dylan G for the rest of the season, call him up. It's that simple. It should be. It should be, but it very often isn't. I mean, I guess, the, yeah, the, the other thing is just seeing what you have in, in front of you, getting uh, every opportunity to... to sort of check out these all, all these folks at, at different levels. Um, you know, it's just the same reason why you're not rushing to bring Matt Reynolds up or, um, you know, you don't need to, to to rush any of the minor leaguers, I think, is, is their mindset right now. I think they're, you know, Alderson's kind of deliberate and wanting to take his time and cycle through some guys at, at different levels and amounts of playing time and, and see what they're doing. I, I mean, that's sort of what he did in, in Oakland. Like, he'd give people, you know, good long stretches of, 
of play before moving on to the the next guy. So I don't I don't think it's uh, any any different here. Deliberate is certainly one word for it, and I'll leave it at that. And we'll move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 116. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And I'm not going to screw this up. You can now like us on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue. Fans, not necessary. We just assume you are. Just went over 6,000 likes. So props to... Uh, to Steve Schreiber for his stewardship of the Facebook page. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Mason Avenue Audio, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue. Listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post in Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Brian Renzi. You can find on Twitter at Little Help. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I haven't Ren- memorized it yet. It's only your second time co-hosting. <laughs> That's all right. I, uh, B Renz78. There you go. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email is from what, six. Did I miscount? And there are six. Ugh. Oh well. Yeah, there are. Okay, it's from Christopher. Hey Jeff and cohorts. I don't recall hearing your take on Mejia's suspension and the aftermath. What is your take? Um, I will say, Chris, lest any people accuse me of sort of sweeping that under the rug due to my well-documented Mejia fandom. It actually was on the agenda, I think, for the show a couple of weeks ago. We were sort of doing early news of the season, and for some reason I just forgot to mention it. Probably because I had a couple of cocktails, as I have had tonight. But sure, I will, I will give you my my general general take on this, and it always sort of rolls into a steroid rant that people don't like. But uh, look, the rules are the rules. Everyone knows the rules. They're major league athletes. They should know what they're putting into their body. And Mejia will do his 80 games, and he will come back and pitch for this team, which he will. They can say all they want about, you know, make big chest-thumping noise in the press about, uh, you know, not knowing if there's going to be a role for him when he gets back. And look, yeah, part of it, he can't pitch for them in the playoffs if that comes to that. But there's not going to be seven, or since they've been carrying 13 relievers a lot, eight relievers on this team better than Henry Mejia when he's available. Just not going to happen. And that's not even if you are charitable and assume Parnell and Black are healthy and effective at that point. It's just very unlikely. I will take my chance with Henry Mejia over Eric Goodell and Sean Gilmartin and even Hansel Robles, really, who I like and they never use, but it's another story. Uh, you can get into sort of, you know, it was a horse steroid, was it a tainted supplement? Because there's been four or five of these in, in recent uh, months. For the same thing, it's certainly possible. Um, and I think we're too quick to just lump all PEDs together. And frankly, I don't care what players put in their body. This isn't 1984. They're not injecting, uh, you know, monkey testosterone or anything. There are plenty of legally available supplements that will allow I mean, you to get 
big and strong and recover from injury. So it is kind Not, of silly, but I don't mean to you know say anything that that could be um, too. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I, I don't want to bust up anybody's idea of me, but the the fact is, like Dominican Republic, they might be having some some monkey testosterone in the stuff that they have in that they're giving to people. I mean, that's that's just the facts. Well, I mean, you get these guys that are coming up with. You know, the Buscaros, the agents down there, and it's all very shady, and they're 16, and they tell you to take something, you're going to take it, because they've promised you a six-figure signing bonus that's going to change your family's life. Now, this doesn't apply to Henry Mejia, who obviously is now a, a major league pitcher making you know, a, a pretty good major league salary. But there is that certainly that uh, culture down there to a certain extent. And it's not like... I think we sort of overstate the that it's a bigger issue in the Dominican than it is in the U.S. If you look at who's getting suspended. Yeah, and I mean, and it's possible supplement, that, yeah. supplements in general in the U.S. are pretty unregulated. So, yeah, it's it's an issue here too, no doubt. Now, is it just that, you know, he's been taking this for years and they gave him something that, in addition, that they told him that he'd be able to beat the test or it, the test wasn't uh, discreet enough to pick this up until this year all of those are certainly possible and i don't want to get into loud internet arguments about steroids and baseball in general i've done that over the years with sort of cesar pollo and biogenesis what we know is this he pissed hot he's going to serve his 80 games you know the mets have weathered the storm well and will reevaluate come july 1st but it's very likely that henry mejia will throw more meaningful innings for this team before the year is out and I'm simply not going to, you know, judge him. You know, I'm not going to play the ethicist in the New York Times on this issue. I'm just not. I have no interest in doing that as a fan. I have no interest in doing that as an analyst. I have no interest in doing that as your podcast host. Well, uh, that, that's that you're you're taking like the highest of high grounds, I suppose. There, uh, well done. I guess that's one uh, way. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> I just don't. I don't care. I mean, it's it's become a cudgel. It's there's all there's so many other things going on in the background here. It's become a cudgel for the you know ownership and the commissioner to beat the players' association up with to get leverage for the next round of negotiations. There's all kinds of other things going on. You know, we don't give a shit about cortisone. We don't give a shit about amphetamines, really, even still now. Though if you look at the numbers, when they actually made amphetamines you know, punishable under the joint drug agreement, you saw a bigger dip in offense than you did when steroids were punishable. People don't want to hear that because they've watched too many fucking 80s after-school specials. Um, yeah, well... Well, uh, I, I hear you on that. I'm, I'm more one to, you know, I, I do get a little uh, upset when people do rush, rush to judgment of uh, players, athletes, especially uh, coming from, um, you know, backgrounds different than maybe a lot of people are used to or are aware of. Um, and is, I, I think you, your your take is is the way to go. You, you probably shouldn't start trying to get into Mejia's headspace and figure out, you know, what did he know? Did he didn't? Did he not know? It's, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's uh, what happened happened. 
Um, but it does bug me when, when people just are assume that they're these, these folks are, are cheaters. I, I think, um, you know, for a balanced perspective, it's good to look at uh, this piece that CJ Nitkowski wrote a few weeks ago that was basically saying, yeah, I can understand why uh, Mejia and Irvin Santana said that they may, may not know that there's anything in there. So, yeah, I think it's just important not to rush to judgment or take the, the stance that you are and just go above it and say, you know, who cares? Um, it, it happened, so now you got to deal with it. Yeah, it's, it's, um, at but, this point in time, it's they all know the rules. If you piss hot, you get what you deserve. And it's something that's been collectively bargained. These are the punishments. He will serve the punishment, and he'll come back. And I think Mets fans specifically, and this is really true of any team, there's no moral high ground here. We're happily, and I'm happily waxed poetic about Bartolo Colon in the first segment, who's served a 50-game suspension. Heck, shortly after the Mejia suspension came down, they called up Danny Mano, who, when he was in the organization, served 50-game suspension for using an anabolic steroid. And it wasn't really a big deal. You know, they've employed Guillermo Moda and other players that have got have these things in their past I and mean, it's it's almost in a weird way becoming more normalized because everybody in their system has them every team has employed them at this point for the most part and it's only when it's someone like alex rodriguez who's a lightning rod for criticism anyway or a really elite player even though if you look at the history of uh you know, steroid users in baseball, most of them aren't elite players just because most players aren't elite players. And I think you see it in all populations. You, it's Henry Mejia and it's Melky Cabrera and it's Barry Bonds. Yeah. Um, and I just also think as, as you're saying, that's, you know, it's becoming a bit more normalized as, as you say, but, you know, I, I think there is a, a parallel in life in general to to be like well if you're gonna rush a judgment and get all hot under the collar about these guys putting stuff in their body or claiming they don't know what they have in their body and how stupid is that blah 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 well i mean i I could go over a lot of people's houses and ask what you got on your dinner table or you know a lot of people know people who go out on weekends and put pills in their body that they don't know what's in, in it at all and you can say those those life decisions which affect your life specifically like every day is pretty stupid um but um no, nobody's gonna do that i guess because you're not on tv every you know other day or whatever but it's it's uh it, it's a little distressing that people can you know come up with this all this indignation about this and then not really l- look at themselves in the mirror and be like well you know what do I do that's just like this, where I don't even know what I'm I'm putting in my body, and uh, I don't seem to care, even though it, you know it's 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 actually your life that you've got in your hands there. So I don't know. It's it just it's it's a little tiresome here, and people uh, worry about this so much. And is Herrera going yard here? Oh man, he just missed it off the top of the wall. That it's going to get reviewed, shot. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, in 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 any event, I but I, I think. Uh, Mejia's future with the Mets I, I, I you know you're you're absolutely right like you you want him out there I don't think he's gonna come back as closer the way uh, if uh you know certainly Familia keeps up as he has 
Um, and in in which case, I even like. I, I know this might be sacrilege to you. I might like dangling Mejia out there after he's he's back and established to, in, in good stead. Dangle him out there again in, in, in a package and, and look to get something back just because. I mean, yeah, he's got an electric arm, he's, but he's had you know all sorts of trouble over over the the, the years staying healthy. Um, uh, he's he's a little bit of an adventure out there, and you know it's a fun adventure. He gets it done you know most of the time, et cetera. Uh, but especially when you got a guy like Familia, you got a couple other arms out there doing pretty good. Um, and it is a ding dong for Herrera. Nice job. Way, way to have a little bit of a coming out party tonight, buddy. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, if Mejia is pitching the eighth inning for me, I'm happy, but I'm also, I think happy to, to start looking at, at selling high on a guy like him. If you can, and, uh, G and Murphy slash Flores, whatever, any, any number of guys, um, that we have, I think this is again the advantage of having organizational depth that we can, you know, do a number of uh, different things. I do think logistically, just because of the timing of when he's going to be back, it'll be difficult for them to uh, give him enough of a showcase to sell high on him. Oh, that's true. Eighty games this year. Right? It is yeah, eighty. Yeah. It's not fifty anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's an extra month without uh, Henry Mejia. I hope he regrows the hair. I will say that in his downtime. We'll move on to uh, our next email and happier topics sort of not really but i will say this the uh the subject line for this email from will is cue the jingle addison russell is probably not available yes it's shortstop avenue audio one of their mirai a little bit pie in the sky maybe give tulo a try it's shortstop avenue audio hey owings is one to admire just please don't stop at Kadir. Since they've got it all wrong, I've had to update the song for Shortstop Avenue Audio. Gentlemen, pretend it's June or July and the Mets are in the playoff mix. It seems to me that barring another key injury, and despite Flores being a decent hitter, the Mets' best place to upgrade the team is at shortstop. So I'm wondering, the Rockies offer salary relief, so Tulo becomes affordable to the Mets, what would a Mets Met package for him look like? Is Syndergaard, Ploiecki, and a lottery ticket too much? Not enough. Tulo comes with significant injury risk, but the upside is obviously significant. And from a business standpoint, he's pure gold. I'll hang up now and listen with reverence, Will. Ooh, a Tulowitzki question. Um, another question I touched on briefly last week was sort of the idea that uh, is Syndergaard healthy enough to headline a deal? Well, he's looked pretty healthy his last two starts. And the Mets seem loath to to move either he or Mats into the rotation full-time at this point. So if you're not going to do that, you know, do you look to maybe cash in one of those chips for an upgrade elsewhere? That's a, a reasonable strategy, I think. Um, as much as we as fans, might be personally attached to uh, players like Mats and Syndergaard. The idea of having a good farm system, which the Mets do, is to convert that into into major league wins. You know, wins at the highest level, whether it's turning those guys into major league regulars or uh, trading them for major league regulars, of which Troy Tulowitzki certainly qualifies. Um, 
I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't see him being available. Is what it comes down to. In a, I mean, it, could the Mets give a Godfather offer for him? And it's certainly possible. Um, you know, they have the pieces to get it done. They're a nice fit for the Rockies, who always need pitching. Um, you know, given Will and Rosario's issues, could they use a catcher? Yes. Uh, and they have other pieces elsewhere. It's a good system. They have the pieces to, to get it done. Um, and it makes them... You know, that's the kind of move that can make you into a... In, given what we've seen from the first 27 games of baseball... Uh, make them into a real division contender, which I think is something they should look to do given the added weight to winning the division. I just, I don't know, it's true choice. I don't know how much smoke is actually there. This is actually going to happen. And I'm not very good at predicting the, predicting the uh, Rockies' behavior, historically speaking. Um, I mean, that, that's a that's a good angle to take, I think. Um, certainly... You know, I I honestly maybe I'm I th- I'm probably in the minority here. I I don't really like selling the farm for Tulowitzki at this point, being that he is, and then I think that's what it'll take to get him from the Rockies because someone out there will probably offer quite a lot for him at some point if he's um, actually available. Um, more teams than just the Mets should be in on him because he's right. one of the best players in baseball. Yeah, I mean, well, he has been, and I'm just a, a little bit worried about you know him him aging and coming off of a hip surgery and and what what all that means. Uh, I mean, at this point, he has not shown the pop that you know we're we're used to. Uh, obviously, you get a lot of power from your your hip explosion. Um, his defensive numbers are also down. Are you, are you going to quote a month of defensive metrics on this podcast, Brian? Something that's about to happen. Sorry, did you, did you want me to quote some defensive metrics? <laughs> but, uh, is, is that is that what we're averaging once a month? Or um, I mean, yeah, his numbers I've, haven't been Troy Tulowitzki esque, but they certainly haven't been bad for the first month of a season. Oh no, not at all. It's just like, do you want to give up Syndergaard and uh, Plawecki for what? What this is right now, certainly not. I mean, I think you, you see what's going on in, in June, July. Recognize you have to adjust for 10 to 20% reduction in numbers or whatever coming over from Colorado to New York. Um, and when you're looking at all, all things considered and him aging and my personal grudge as far as, like, why would you want to bring in another 30-plus-year-old shortstop if you didn't want Jose Reyes into his 30s? But, you know, then I, I'd say... You know, work with what you got, and you've you've got some some shortstop depth in the the organization. I to to me, like yeah, get scoring. Uh, if we can score at least one middle infielder who can play some defense and and get some some pop out of our our corner outfielders, that's that's what or my head is right now i can put up with some you know not great defense for a little while until say you know reynolds or chichini or whoever comes in to be average and then hopefully for further on down the line um you know other prospects can 
can do something for the Mets. But yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not sold on giving up too much, and that's what it'll take to get Tulowitzki. Conveniently, Ryan, we also have an email, another email about a shortstop and about Gavin Chikini specifically. It's from Jesse. Hi, guys. I wanted to check in on your thoughts on how th- soon you think Gavin Chikini could help the Major League Ball Club. The conventional wisdom is that the, if the Flores experiment is determined to have failed, the next man up will be Matt Reynolds. But Chikini, aside from a stint on the shelf due to injury, has been tearing it up in Binghamton, and I understand him to be more of a true shortstop than Reynolds. With Vegas numbers being Vegas numbers, can we really say with great confidence whether Reynolds would out-hit Chikini by enough of a margin to make up for what I presume would be his defensive shortcomings? In short, would it be worth rolling with Chikini's presumably better fielding, taking a chance on his hitting? Ideally, of course, Chikini should spend more time in the minors, but if at some point the Mets aren't going outside the organization for a shortstop, I think we need to consider all options available, and I'm wondering whether you think he's one of them, despite his very minimal time in double-A thus far uh, we obviously consider all shortstop options on this show there's a whole jingle about it there's been a series of emails over the last two years about it so sure we'll talk about gavin Chikini and, and sort of specifically w- with regards to matt reynolds i from what i've seen from matt reynolds um in the well, let's see 15 times i've seen him over the last three years I think it would be a below-average major league shortstop, but someone, you know, a glove you can live with there. And again, it's sort of tying back in with what we talked about at the Open. You know, you're punting defense, a little bit of defense, for maybe a, an offensive upgrade. I just don't know how much there is in Matt Reynolds' bats. I mean, you're talking about an empty 260, probably. Um, there's some bat to ball there. Um, I think he will strike out some at the major league level, despite a, a sort of a short to the, you know, short to the ball stroke. You know, could he be? Is he more likely to sort of give you a, a league average or you know second division starter total package than Flores at this point? You know, maybe. I mean, you are sort of. I mean, I guess I'll put it this way: he's not as good a prospect as Gavin Chikini. He's not. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see Chikini in my look at Binghamton last week because he was hurt. But, you know, from what I've seen from Chikini the last two seasons, you know, he's a better prospect than Matt Reynolds. Is he a better major leaguer in 2015? Probably not. In his performance in Binghamton, you know, if I see him in a couple of weeks, I hope to get another look at them soon. If it's backed up by what I see... You know, he's changing his timetable a little bit. Could he be ready by beginning of next year? You know, half season at Binghamton, half season at Vegas? Yeah, yeah, certainly possible. Um, I don't see him being the answer in, in 2016, 15. I just don't see the upside there either, really. I mean, what you're hoping to get out of Gavin Cicchini is a little bit better shortstop defense than Matt Reynolds, a little bit more bat than Matt Reynolds, so a less empty 270. I guess would be the way to put it. Uh, you know, just he's a little bit better around the margin, sort of in every area. You know, it's a half grade or a full grade here, a half grade or a full grade there, and this sort of sort of adds up sort of some of the parts kind of thing. Uh, he would have to, I mean, just be absolutely tearing the cover off the ball at Binghamton to a degree that he's not 
where I would say, you know, he's ready to make that jump to major league pitching because double A to the majors is a huge jump. You know, especially for a guy that's only really hit there for six weeks. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd definitely say so. I mean, and, and you, you've been uh, okay from what you've seen with uh, uh, K- S- Sakini. S- I'm, I'm Zucchini. Oh, oh, Chikini. Chikini. That comes Chikini. straight from his mother. Right. So I, have, I haven't seen him in person, and I guess I haven't even heard somebody say his name out loud yet. I guess that's – I don't know if that's embarrassing or not or – uh, but the uh, but you're you're solid. You feel he's good enough defensively to 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 say like you could be a major league shortstop because I, I just I'd heard some you know things over time where it's like uh, I don't know some mixed reports. He is good enough to be a major league shortstop. Like with his bat, there's we're still talking about some projection. He's not there yet. He needs more seasoning, if that's the verb you want to use there. I guess. Uh, right it's like a speed of the game thing right i think there's yeah. value in him sort of seeing it at each level and and developing he's not gonna be a gold lover there regardless he's just not sort of that sort of quick twitch athlete but i think he can be an average major league shortstop which is no uh you know no small thing really but that's the other thing you're not just like calling him up and then he the the bat may not play at a major league level at this point which i don't think it will it's the same thing with the glove is you got there is, I mean your your athletic tools are your athletic tools, and some guys you know you see it in the low minors, and Luigi Arme is a good example of this. You know Tovar when he was in Savannah is a good example of this, where you're like, oh he can come up and play a major league shortstop now, and even those guys, Arme uh, specifically, have sort of speed of the game issues, but for other players it is more of like a level by level thing, and Chikini also falls in that sort of gray area where it's not he's not there not aren't elite shortstop tools there so you do kind of of wonder you know is he a better major league shortstop defensively now than wilmer flores yeah it's, it's certainly possible but i don't know if that's the bar we should be using here right um yeah i mean i, I honestly you know for what do you think about um just in, yeah, looking at stopgap measures one way or the other until uh, Rosario is ready. Like, how far do you think Rosario is away? It's like the bigger, so, bigger so question. I don't want to really make this about Ahmed Rosario, but people are okay. going a little too crazy about Ahmed Rosario. Okay, um, it, we're not talking about like elite shortstop tools here either. Um, and he's going to need even more seasoning than Chikini, certainly. But yeah, they need, I mean, they need to do something. I've been answering this question for two years. I'm kind of getting tired of it, if you haven't gathered. And our next email, actually, Brian, is marginally enough about shortstops that I won't play the outro yet. It's from Sean. Jeffrey and Greg, question mark. No, you missed Greg by a week, and he's going to be off for the next month or so. So, sorry. McShane in the membrane, not on the super heady two weeks ago. Total bummer. Um, I'm going to read between the lines here despite being in my 30s, and Sean is, of course, referencing our uh, 420 episode that Chris was not on. Does Chris, I mean, I guess Chris kind of does sound like a bit of a stoner on the podcast sometimes. I mean, like, vocal tone. I don't think he's actually smoking up during the show or anything. 
Listen, home run heroics aside, this team cannot field the current middle infield full-time. Can you guys recall a middle infield this bad on a contending team? I mean, you know, Tuffle and Hojo up the middle weren't that great, but I'd have to rack my brain further than that to come up with a better example. Murphy does balance a lineup, as we would be too left, or he says lefty-heavy, I assume he means righty-heavy without him. But if he isn't in the long-term plan, aren't we better served with Pickles, which I assume is a reference to Dilson. Which, I, I've seen this nickname on the site. I'm not I'm not in favor of it in any way, shape, or form. Just going to get that out there. Where, where does it come from? Because Dill. Dillson. Uh, Pickles. Yeah. Nah, all right. Very good. Not good. Not good. You guys can do better. Come on. I've, I've really begun a love affair with Pickles recently. I'm, I'm thinking of starting pickling myself. So, I, I actually I guess I wouldn't mind if he's called Pickles. But it is, yeah, it's a, it's, it's tenuous stretch there. He isn't prime rural Alamar. But at least he's cromulent. Super utility Murph. You don't pay free agent prices for super utility players. Secondly, how the heck is Terry and Co. this bad at seeing when a pitcher is done? Welcome to the last 116 episodes of this podcast. At least the ones when Rob Castellano weren't on. Have pitch counts worked in the opposite direction at this point? Like we keep Dylan in four times to the lineup when he's faltering simply because he's at 65 pitches. And why do we have a eight-man bullpen? We only use four guys. What's the point? Love the pod, Old Hickory. And uh, as was pointed out to me after the last time Sean wrote in, Old Hickory is actually his handle on the site. But he does add a PS. The nickname comes from a grad school co-ed softball team where all the best uh, nicknames originate, I assume. We all took Southwestern barbecue-related handles. Up in New England, I played first base and always wore a Mets shirt. So our rival nicknamed me Movon. Too much of a resemblance and jab at my morphology. Oh, well. Uh, where's, um, so I kind of touched on the middle infield this bad. I kind of touched on the, uh, if they re-sign Murph to a long-term deal, even a multi-year deal after this season, it's not going to be a super utility player. Because somebody will give him starter money, uh, even if it's like on a, on a three-year deal somewhere that isn't flushing. Um, and the, 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 I don't know. I wish I knew. Like, I mean, they... Especially with an eight-man bullpen, as you mentioned, you should be more willing to go five and dive with these guys. You know, we saw it with Montero and his spot start. We see it with Dylan G on many occasions, um, where they're just not proactive enough. You know, with the, the, I you know I hesitate to sort of do like, oh, we can see it at home, but I mean, you kind of see it at home when the command goes and he's two miles an hour down from where he was sitting in the first inning, yeah, maybe maybe you need to get somebody up. You know, it is armchair quarterbacking to a certain extent, but it's just something we have to live with, I guess. I'm also going to suggest Derek Jeter and anyone at second base, probably. Oh, well, yeah, I, I, I was definitely thinking about that as far as the, that's definitely been the most successful team for a while. Look across the, the bridge there, and yeah, they had... Cano, Soriano, and Knobloch opposite Jeter. Well, I can None see of... like this was a Soriano Jeter. I mean, Cano is pretty decent, but um, yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it, that's that was their heyday. They they did well with uh, Knobloch and Soriano. Those guys were kind of hot messes out there. Um, in in division, a couple years ago, two thousand nine Marlins went with uh, Ugla and Ramirez. That's uh, not combo. great. Yeah. Up the middle, and they they won eighty seven games, second place. Um, 
So just, you know, a couple couple wins off that magic supposed wild card number of eighty nine wins. Uh, the and also brings to mind the nineteen ninety Mets, who uh, you know Kevin Elster after he'd come back from you know having the most errorless games in a row was having a terrible nineteen ninety. Had committed seventeen errors in just over ninety games. Uh, had an arm problem, so they had to shut him down for the year. That moved Hojo to short and Greg Jeffries to second. Um, Oof, yeah, I mean, not good. So, I mean, this was a season-long problem, right, with Elster erroring it up and Jeffries being Jeffries, which is not a second baseman. And uh, then they traded for Tommy Herr, uh, moving Jeffries to third. Uh, Tommy Herr, actually, from the zone rating stuff that I see on uh, on Baseball Reference, was actually worse than Jeffries in his time there. And I, and that I remember that, too, is that he was really bad. Um, so they were terrible up the middle of the entire year and they won uh, 90 games I yeah yeah uh, but of course this is a offense situation where you know and I don't, I don't think they were had as much shortcomings in left field right field and catcher defensively as, as this team does so and again um, if you're going to punt defense for offense you could do worse than hojo or Derek jeter or hanley ramirez or peak dan ugla right and, that, and that, that's that's the big takeaway here where I, I'll agree with him. I think what, when he was talking about being better served with pickles, maybe uh, – Oh, no, no I think I'm starting to get that We're not making that happen. <laughs> no, I, can deal with, I can deal with donuts for Travis Darnot because I can convince myself that's just a funny funny autocorrect thing. Even okay. though I don't think it is. But you know, we're, not, we're not doing pickles. It's not happening. Because you, know, you so, know why? Because of – I think because of uh, my generation, I associate pickles with Tommy Pickles from Rugrats, and that's just not going to happen. Well, Dulcin Herrera, then. Dulcin uh, Herrera I, is fine, yes. I, I, I'm, I lean toward what the, uh, the writer-caller is saying here um, as far as, like, I, I, yeah, since we're not scoring runs anyway, I'd rather have good defense to back up our awesome pitching. Um, and even just to have one, I mean, there's plenty of teams that have contended and done well with one bad middle infielder. I mean, just look at any of the Eckstein Cardinals teams, et cetera. Um, Jeter, you know, you can get away with it if you, um, got, you know, if you, if you have like somebody who plays defense on the other side. Um, but again, yeah, we need help in more places defensively. I think what he's talking about with super utility Marf is maybe just for this year, which, you know, also could be something thrown second, third, first. Um, I don't know if he's suggesting signing him for, to be a super utility in the future, but, um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I would rather go with the defense here since, you know, we're not putting up any offense anyway. And if you want to, for for completists out there, for the record, it is uh, Dilson Jose Herrera Garcia. <laughs> so, wait, Garcia has a second last name, or so in traditionally speaking in uh, South American countries, the mother's last name goes after the uh, the father's last name. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you for passing on this culturally astute point that I can now I sound like. I think a... it's generally true in most Spanish-speaking co- countries, actually, not just uh, South American and, and Caribbean ones. But I just see it the most when I see, uh, obviously, most Major League Baseball players come from, well, most Spanish-speaking Major League Baseball players come from one of those two areas. Is, is that like a, a, a dog or someone on a... a yeah, like it's a... my dog snoring on the blanket next to me. Uh, 
I wasn't sure. Yeah, I thought it was either it's, a dog or, or somebody on life support. I couldn't. No, no, really it's like it's a constant feature of the podcast. Oh. Our next email is not about shortstops. Francisco Lindor is probably not available. This has been Shortstop Avenue Audio, the Mariners Brad Miller, a dollar per war killer, or merely just podcast filler for Shortstop Avenue Audio. Now, nothing will ruin the Muda like Flores to Murphy to Duda, and I really don't mean to be Ruda, but I'm tired of Shortstop Avenue Audio. So that's enough song for today. Wait, why didn't they just keep Jose? We'll be back next week anyway with more Shortstop Avenue Audio. It is about Jerry Blevins. It is from Gregory, Jeff, and Co. Ironically, at the end of the season, we see Jer- Jeremy Blevins. No. People have been doing that. It's, it's Jerry. I understand. It's, maybe he's referencing the fact that people on Twitter always... I think uh, Steve Schreiber specifically always wants to call him Jeremy Blevins. But it is Jerry Blevins. So I'm just calling him Jerry Blevins. Broken forearm is a net positive for his arm health. You said that GM Montero don't necessarily profile as relievers. I know that exceptions don't really mean anything. But haven't guys like Tyler Clippard have long successful careers in the pen? Isn't this team better this year despite overpaying G? With them in the pen and Thor and Matt's in the rotation after they get next year of control. Um, in the order they were asked, I guess that's a reference to... Terry Collins overusing lefty relievers. So maybe. Now, I don't know how one recovers from a broken form on their pitching, hand, uh, pitching arm to begin with. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't imagine it to be a particularly common injury, so I don't know how many reference points we have for it. Um, I, I took a look, and it, I couldn't find any quickly. I mean, the the closest person had this sort of injury that popped up easily on Google was... Uh, Pujols a couple years back, but he had his fracture further down toward the wrist rather than the the middle of the forearm. And it seems like the the injury he Blevins has got is um, it's right in the middle of the bone in the forearm that rotates around the other bone that stays stationary when if you like flex side to side. So that would seem to be kind of a problem when it comes to like bending and, and straightening your elbow and or wrist uh during recovery and times um and so that that's the the big concern there is is he's going to be able to come back and and snap off curveballs the way he had been before without uh discomfort uh of course you know pro athletes got the very best um in, in training staff around them and and trying to get them ready for things but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like, I I haven't heard anybody really talk about this or um, in, in any depth, but it it doesn't sound like it's necessarily going to be, uh, a, you know, an, an easy comeback here. Um, that that will just come back just as he was before um, this year, anyway. Um, so yeah, all so I, I think that all points to. Um, maybe it's it's not the best thing to, to have broken your forearm, as, I'm, as you I'm, might have gathered. I'm going to go with that's not a net positive for anyone's arm health ever, as a general rule. I mean, so sure, I his, shoulder, his, his shoulder will probably be stronger than ever and stuff with all, all the, the rehabbing that it, he'll be doing. And I do like the, the idea that possibly Mets relievers get together and hire, like, uh, 
somebody like Kathy Bates's character in Misery to like you know bust bones in their arms so they can you know like not have to throw ninety games. But um, I, well, I will point out that Carlos Torres is also in again tonight. Right. So now that's what half the team's games this year. So that's on pace for eighty, right? Yeah. I think Familia is even higher than that too. Yeah, right. and since well, I guess it's not a safe situation anymore. So maybe we'll actually see Hansel Robles tonight for an inning at some point. That would be nice. Let's let's hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, e- even just taking this slightly back to the the last question, I forgot about the the part with the you know bringing in guys four times through the or when when the stars face somebody four times through the order. Obviously, the, yeah, the stats support taking a starter out after you know, three times through the order. Uh, but yeah, the way Terry likes to use his guys, right? Like I, I still can't figure it out as far as um, sometimes, you know, he'll, he'll throw Alex Torres out there for to be a loogie. And then the next night he'll be out there for two straight innings. Uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason um, to, to how, how that, that goes. So um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess you have eight, eight men out there, so you can set the major league record for most guys with at least 80 appearances uh, is, is my only guess. I mean, that, that's, that's something you could have a commemorative hat for or a T-shirt. They're giving away free T-shirts at the stadium a lot these days, so maybe you get one of those. I, I will say that the fact that we took this email seriously means, Terry Collins, get your shit together and stop overusing relievers. Pretty much. Our last email is from Stuart. Dear Mr. Paternoster and co-host, if you had to field the Mets for one night with no one but pro wrestlers, who would it be and why? Thanks, Stuart. And by the way, this better include Scott Big Papa Pump Steiner. This is only your second appearance, Brian, so how how adroit are you with the professional wrestling? Um, I mean, do, do they have to be alive? Because... I don't think so. Okay, because I mean, like the whole Scott, I'm willing to put Scott Steiner in this lineup somewhere. I think that's fair, but you have to really kind of consider peak Scott Steiner, like in his, <laughs> his in his in his like late '80s, early '90s heyday as a tag in the tag team with the Steiner brothers in WCW, and he was really kind of like a freak athlete for wrestler, as opposed to sort of his big Papa Pump days when he was just bloated on steroids with a bad uh, bleach blonde dye job. Right. Yes, I, I, I am aware. So we, we, we can consider we can consider sort of like wrestlers in their peak. I think for the purposes okay. of this question, I'm deciding that now. Okay. Cool. Because yeah, I mean, my my personal sweet spots back like eighty five, eighty six. Um, and <clears throat> I mean, I mean, this may actually break your heart. I I went to wrestlemania 3 in atlantic city and i didn't even really care at that point it was was terrible like i had already like i guess just given up on or or was just jaded by this idea that the wrestling was phony i was just nine-year-old wandering around casinos in atlantic city jaded first of all i will correct you because that was wrestlemania 2 because wrestlemania 3 was in the pontiac silverdome was it? Okay. WrestleMania 2 was the one that was closed-circuited in three locations, and one of them was Atlantic City. Really? Yes. I thought I thought, I thought WrestleMania 1 was 85, was it not? I don't know. That's WrestleMania just... 1 was in the Madison Square Garden. WrestleMania 2 was... I forget what the one in the central time zone was, but... Uh, right, I thought 2 was in... 2 
It was two two was the one where it was like Hogan and the Giant at the end, right? For no, that was oh? WrestleMania three. Well, technically, they all ended with Hogan and the Giant at the end. <laughs> WrestleMania two was uh, Hogan against uh, King Kong Bundy. WrestleMania three was Hogan against Andre the Giant. Ooh, right? Yeah. Were, so a... no, no. So WrestleMania two was the Nassau Coliseum, the Rosemont, and. Uh, uh, Memorial Sports Arena in LA. Which hell one did you go to in Atlantic City? You're sure Jeez. it was Atlantic City? Yeah, I'm, and you were I'm seeing sure. it live. You weren't watching it on like closed circuit or anything. It, it was the one where they had the you know it was the championship belt was up for grabs for anybody. Like they had a oh that was WrestleMania four. Oh, okay, so that's that was the, one the I tournament. Yes, that would have been actually uh eighty eight. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, that's one that Macho good. Man won at the end over uh, yes Million Dollar Man. Yeah, so we're talking about WrestleMania four. That's All right, bad, it's bad work by both of us that it took that long <laughs> for us to figure that out. But no, but, uh, I've, I've I've relived part of my childhood here, so that that's this good at least for so me. So I I feel like just to get it out of the way, so if you were doing a a, a draft essentially, For pro wrestlers and baseball players, Macho Man Randy Savage gets picked 1-1 every single time. I mean, if I'm Sandy Alderson in the Mets, I might go with Million Dollar Man because, you know, you can afford him. <laughs> uh, no, because uh, I don't know if you know this, but Macho Man Randy Savage actually spent uh, four years in the Cardinals system as a minor league baseball oh, player. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. I forgot about that. Nice. And he, he topped out. I mean, he topped out an A-ball, but he hit, you know, 230 304 358 in the florida state league as a 21 year old which by the standards of professional wrestlers as baseball players is basically babe ruth so yeah he played outfielder catcher in first base so i guess i'd probably put him center field maybe i was i was thinking superfly snooker in center field you know you need somebody acrobatic out there but like I, you know what you, you want somebody to take charge you'll definitely hear him call for the ball oh yeah there you go you got ball. that going for you too um, so I guess we'll start in the outfit. Uh, Superfly Snookers. I you want someone with straight line speed though. All um, right. I think like you could put like Ray Mysterio and left maybe. Got a small strike zone too, sort of like a Ben Revere uh, profile. I could see that. All right. All right. I, w- I was thinking for sure like George the Animal Steel at catcher. Yes, he he's built like a catcher. I was thinking maybe Kevin Owens, um, or, or Kevin Steen, which is a little more, uh, a little more modern. He's in NXT right now, but he also has that sort of catcher build. The, the advantage of steel, though, I mean, honestly, the jabber he would talk in batters' ears and and stuff. Like he would just be scary. You'd be too worried about what this guy behind you is gonna do. He might like eat, take a bite out of your bat or something. Like you know, you, I, I think it, that's that would be a great competitive advantage to have a, have a you know borderline psychotic like steel behind the plate. And, and he's dead, right? I think he's actually still alive. Is he? Yes. Okay. Good for I him. I believe so. Love um, that guy. He has a good, like, elite physical tools. Uh, well, that would be, like, Ultimate Warrior, right? I like, see. He doesn't have the... St- I don't, like... I just... I, designated hitter, maybe. I feel like he doesn't have the stamina to get through a 162-game season. But didn't he, like, just keep dying and, like, coming back and, and so stuff that like was that? So like, that was, like, the rumor 
I mean, I see this is actually even pre-internet, I suppose, that went around that like the Ultimate Warrior died and was replaced by a different Ultimate Warrior. Um, and I guess the reason for that is because he came back after they instituted more uh, more strict steroid testing when Vince McMahon was like up on federal charges for steroid distribution. So he just looked like a different person. But he did not actually die. That rumor also went around about The Undertaker in the early 90s, I feel like, too. Right. Oh, Under- I mean, Undertaker he... at first base, pretty good athlete, tall, good reach. True. I could see that being, I mean, you don't want to go like too crazy tall. No giant over there. No giant. I, I, I think Undertaker still got, you know, pretty good footwork, quick feet. He's not like heavy feet. He's like the big guy, like Andre the Giant or... Um, I just like Andre the Giant out there as a possibility just to make Lucas Duda feel small for once in his life. Uh, you know those big tall guys, they have trouble like getting their swings and getting the bat through the zone, controlling the strike zone because they're so tall. But his, his stomach would like hang over half of the plate, right? So he'd probably get a lot He's of He's a big target, yeah. Yeah. And he'd be fun like, you know, when he'd go out drinking after the game too because of his legendary propensity for uh, putting away alcohol. No doubt. And up the mi- up the middle, you got to go with like a tag team, right? For yeah, sure. yeah, for shortstop, second base. Yeah, I don't know who you want to go with there. Maybe the Rockers. Um, I'm, I haven't been initiated with them. That's uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Okay. They were considered pretty like high flyers, good athletes. Right on. Late '80s, early '90s. I mean, you can go. You can go classic like the Midnight Express or the Rock and Roll Express too. All right. I mean, British Bulldogs are pretty athletic, British right? British Bulldogs, certainly, yeah. Dynamite Kid at short and uh, Davy Boy Smith at second. I could see that. I think the the most I think the most interesting call here is who do you want who do you want who do you want managing the team? Captain Lou Albano. I thought like about a... Lou Albano. That was my initial. I mean, he kind of feels like a baseball manager to me in some ways. Bobby Heenan could be fun too. I think. Oh yeah, that that he yeah. Other teams would love to hate him. Yeah, and he would always be like you know calling for his pitcher to hit players too and buying it afterwards, stealing signs, you know whatever. Yeah, I think Miss Elizabeth is a bench coach, and you know just send send them out to like to distract the other team while you know you. St- on their signs or something i think that's that's a strong move you get a good keith hernandez quote there too about having women in the dugout probably <laughs> so no are, doubt. We're, we're gonna wrap so, it this show's been going on too long as it is right. uh, i think we forgot third base though you just throw a Hulk, hulkamania over there right because he doesn't have hulk hogan somehow i don't it's he doesn't have enough range to play shortstop because he's he's kind of one note with the oh, with the Hulkamania and yeah. everything, right? Third base, you want someone that's got like we want someone that's like quick twitch though. I feel like I don't know if Hogan really screams quick twitch. Fair, yeah, that's, but he is a big target, sort of like knock the ball down, I suppose. You're really scouting these guys to play baseball. That's that's impressive. I was no. just like. Looking at the, the the lamest connections possible, but you're That's you're fine. actually taking the serious. You're a pro. I take all the emails seriously. You know where Ultimate Warrior would fit? I just thought of where he would fit. He's your closer. So you have the music in the ninth inning, like the music hits, and he just sort of runs out of the bullpen. 
That'd be nice, but yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty, pretty, pretty uh, awesome spectacle. Yeah, runs from the bullpen to the uh, who's that? Todd Coffee used to do that for the for the Nationals and the Reds, I think. Would just like sprint from the bullpen to uh, the mound with the tassels from his arms. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. You, know, you gotta have the tassels. In the wind. That, probably, that probably violates like the you know he probably take him off before he pitched. But yeah, but you still have entrance, him on for warm ups. Yeah, yeah. And he and eye paint's fine, so that's pretty intimidating. Yeah, right? there you go. I mean, I, I feel like Bryce Harper, and you see a lot of it with Coffee. Bryce Harper would do like the sort of like the have at times sort of Ultimate Warrior esque eye black on. So it's the same basic principle. I'm with you. I'm with you. That that sounds like a pretty solid team to me. But seriously, that those were your emails. The emails are now over. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com because we have to get to our IFK Gothenburg update before we wrap things up. It's very important. IFK has played uh, two games since our last show. They're playing a lot of like, they're on like a Monday, Thursday schedule right now, which is annoying because I can't really follow them as well as I would like otherwise. Um, but I guess our man on the ground, Anders and Gothenburg, explained to me that they're considered a high-risk team. So you don't get a lot of Friday and Saturday night games. I think we may be supporting hooliganism on the podcast, Brian. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I, I say I'll I'll just play the contrarian on this. Yeah, go hooliganism. They uh, drew nil nil with Gefla IF on Thursday, and one uh, beat Falkenberg FF on Monday, two one with a brace from Soren Reeks and a pair of nice goals actually. Good piece of chest control. To knock the ball down and uh, beat the keeper for the first one, and then a, a cheeky little chip in the 80th minute. Gotta love those. Yeah, Falkenberg's got one back on a on a penalty late, but IFK held on. They're currently a point out of first behind last year's champions, Malmo FF. Uh, they have a game coming up this. I think it was Friday. It is Friday. Against Kalmar FF. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. over there. We are just a month away from, or sorry, a week away from the Svenska Kupen final. So we'll definitely have a, a more in-depth update on that next week. I think that's about it. My uh, MLB TV player froze, unsurprisingly. I might catch up to you now. Might have caught up to me. Um, but it uh, looks like the Mets are going to win. And get to 18 and 10. Maybe they're starting a new 11-game winning streak, and we'll have fun times next week on the show. Either way, we'll have fun times. We always or, have fun or... times. That's true. I, I, I don't want to undersell it. You sat through an hour and a half podcast, which is longer than what we've been doing lately. Um, we'll probably have some more minor league stuff in the coming weeks, I want to get uh, Jeff Moore of Baseball Prospectus on. We'll have Toby on talk about the Savannah Sand Nats. And uh, we'll keep talking about the Major League team because they're winning baseball games. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. I, I can't wait to get out to City for my first game in uh, several years even. Um, coming up uh, in June sometime. Yeah, I'm, I'm due to get out there maybe sometime this month. Hopefully I got to go look at the schedule. We'll see uh, if there's a rain out the next two weeks for Binghamton that pushes Michael Fulmer back to a Saturday. And I have weird priorities, and that's now become one of them. 
So if that happens, we'll have a Michael Fulmer update. We'll have, uh, other than that, the usual rigmarole, your shortstop questions, your pro wrestling questions, my rants about the Mets starting rotation, all of our rants about the Mets defense, and more on future editions of Amazing Avenue Audio.